sorry, I was burping then when I, uh, I just as you finished your answer, I thought I could squeeze a burp in and I couldn't quite do it. <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So the dream is over. Five years and four successive trophies later, there'll be a new name on the Carabao Cup at the end of the season. Honestly, is there any point in finishing the rest of the season now that the big one is unattainable? Still, if we have to settle for second-rate competitions, at least City are going well in the Premier League. After a 4-1 win at Brighton, it's Crystal Palace to come this weekend, so we'll look ahead to that. Not forgetting the Champions League tie with Bruges as well. Sam Roscoe will look at some of the best goals that City have ever conceded, plus Howard Hocking is examining when the power shifted in Manchester as the 10th anniversary of the 6-1 win at Old Trafford past last week. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got a pair of boots. Chris Higginbottom. Hey, And Casey. Oh, yeah. So, um, first things first, Chris. Um, that draw with West Ham on Wednesday night was the first time City have lost in the Carabao Cup uh, since they won against United in 2020. Somehow, that's a factually correct sentence. Um, blown my mind apart. <laughs> Um, it, it is it is the fourth choice competition, but still, it is a shame that the record has ended, doesn't it? Absolutely, is yeah. I mean, everyone loves the sweet, sweet Carabao. Um, we have to start calling it something else. Uh, but it's just good to get as far in the competition as you can and win it and get that one choked up on the board like early in the season. It's uh, become a bit of a you know, a, a treasured trophy for us, hasn't it? Because we've just absolutely dominated it. But obviously, um, they're going to go out next game and uh, someone annoying will win it. <laughs> yeah. Um, KC, it's like, like I said, it's the first time City have ever been knocked out of the Carabao Cup. They now sadly can't get that record of being the only ever winners of it when the sponsors change. Um, they also can't have the uh, the consecutive wins record, uh, certainly not this season anyway. Uh, and uh, a most wins record is gone as well for the time being. It's, uh, it is a sad day, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I was. I was tempted to draft a letter through my solicitor saying that I was unavailable for comment. It's so emotional <laughs> um, to go out of the Carabao Cup. Um, Have you ever had yeah. any Carabao? Uh, no, no. Does it exist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, have you, have you, David? Have you no, I, I have seen it in the wild though. They've, they, I, I've been walking through Manchester and they've been trying to give it out, and people haven't been taking it. Well, listen, we've won it four times. Like you've never had any. I've never had any. And I'm assuming that the sponsor dogs never had any. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> apparently his cat's called Just Wide. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, it's not. We're not doing a very good job of like selling it if nobody's drinking it. Maybe it's time somebody else had a go. But well, isn't I, it, isn't it isn't it Thai or Malaysian? Or, yeah, yeah. So I, I imagine I imagine it's um, it's it's more aimed at that market anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I know nothing about. It. I've never seen it. I've I've never seen it. Like I've only ever seen like the cans of it. So I don't even know. Like in my head, I picture that it's bright green, and I don't know why. I think it's just because of the branding. Mm, I thought it was like made out of reindeers or something like <laughs> reindeer juice. Yeah, I did not expect to hear the words rainbow juice three minutes into the podcast, but here we are. <laughs> reindeer, um, reindeer, reindeer, not oh. rainbow. Sorry, no, yeah, no, no, it's quite, no, it's quite sunny out, Chris. Well, there was no comma between rain and, and deer, but anyway, I interrupted you, Casey. Anyway, I do, I do apologise. I've lost uh, control of this podcast yeah, already. No, no, it's, it's all right. All, all I was going to say was, you'd just like to think that maybe, um, maybe he'll take a, a more serious run at the uh, the FA Cup then this year. I know it is more difficult because obviously when the when the business end of that competition comes in with the FA Cup, is when you're also generally you'd like to hope fighting for the title and for um the the fourth trophy in my eyes the champions league um so you'd you'd uh as i say you'd hope that maybe you know he, he'd go hell for leather on the fa cup this year and you know because we've not won the carabao it was he pretty did. meek surrender last time, wasn't it? it was yeah, but pretty it, disappointing. It, it was in mm. the semi-finals, though. So it was like it, it was in a semi-final where it was. Was it not a Champions League tie before it, and then the Carabao Cup final? Oh, I understand the reasoning, um, and I still think that we had a good enough team that day to to go through. But I think in terms of priority, um, you know, I. I, I I, I don't hold the FA Cup as uh, in as high regard as I used to when I was a kid, but I still think I hold it in higher regard than most people. Um, and I think it's it's just you know, it, especially considering it was 
I want to say our first trophy. It was the first trophy of my lifetime. It, you know, it does have a special spot in there, and um, when it does take a backseat, it, you know, it is it is a bit, um, bit sad. is a bit sad at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is there is a serious point to to all of this Carabao Cup talk, though, Chris. Um, do, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a statistic now, and I'm just I'm just interested to to get your reaction because I when I thought about it um, after the game, I. I, I didn't. Re- I'd never really had any concerns about how well this season was going for City. I thought they were doing pretty well in all competitions, and it's you know things are plodding along quite nicely this the, at this stage. Um, but five times now this season, City have played ninety minutes and not scored out of their fifteen games. They only did that six times all of last season, and they played sixty-one. It's like it's, it's the lack of goals a little bit of a concern in some games. Well. It's one of them, isn't it? Yes and no. Obviously, a team like ours, you'd expect us to be scoring most games, and well, we still are. But yeah, it is a, a bit of an upshift in in blanks. Um, time will tell. You, you let them off, don't you, at this stage of the season? Because we are going quite well um, in the league. The, the lack of striker is probably becoming more prominent. I don't think. You can get away with that forever. You can probably yeah, get think, away with it for two seasons. I, th- I, th- I think that point about not scoring in games generally is a fair one, but I don't. I wouldn't necessarily have last night's game in that sort of bracket. We made enough chances in that first half to score more than enough uh, goals to win a game, and I think it was just the second half we we came out with a bit of complacency and expected the, the second half to go the same way, but obviously. Moyes had sorted things out for West Ham at half time, which you know put us on the back foot. And you know they had a you know they had a pretty strong team out. I think it was just a case of then the game sort of got away from us in the second half. Not in terms of us being overran or anything like that, but I just think you know they had they had a couple of good chances to score. I, I just don't think the second half turned into a game that we wanted to have. And and I, I wouldn't put it in the same bracket as let's say a Southampton where it was no, just constant. I'm... I, I am I am interested though because like you think of you think of Spurs on the opening day they created enough chances in that game to score Southampton okay they didn't create oh, enough I, chances I don't to think score we, I, I don't I don't think we did against Spurs there's the Fernandinho header that I can think of off the top of my head and that's it we were poor we were standard yeah. City against Spurs weren't we but and that's you know first game of the, like like I say I agree generally with with the point but I I, I wouldn't lump last night's game in with the likes of Spurs yeah. Yeah. But when you're talking about creating enough chances, it uh, brings it back to the no striker thing, doesn't it? Like, because there's certain. I mean, Sterling right at the death, that header. Uh, I mean, we could probably have an, an entirely, you know, a podcast dedicated to Sterling and what's going on with him. But a stri- a, a, you'd, you'd expect a bona fide striker to, to bury that. Yeah, you'd expect, yeah. expect Sterling to bury that, except you wouldn't, if you know what I mean. Sterling, yeah, Sterling, Sterling at the moment, it, you know, is just as long as he's on the pitch, he's not going to score. Like no matter how well he plays, it's just off one, it, I, mean, I would suggest. Yeah, yeah, he just need. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it just he needs some to go in off his ass or something because it's just no matter what he does, nothing sort of working. Yeah, and, I said, and I like, said during yes, the game, he's the sort the, the the form he's in at the moment. He could he, his lottery numbers have come up on Saturday. It'd be the one week he hadn't paid, he hadn't paid a free yeah. ticket. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was like, um, but then there was a lot of good stuff that he was doing in the first half. Like, for example, I know you were probably going to get onto him later, but I thought Cole, Cole Palmer really was excellent last night um, in that role. But I think part of the reason why we didn't score in the first half was that a few of the times De Bruyne and Gundogan were sort of getting in his way. So he'd be making an intelligent run, but they, they're they not used to him and they were making runs into the same spaces. I don't know whether you noticed that, but a lot of the time in the first half, he'd make a run and then they'd make a run where they'd both end up being in the same place. So Palmer would have to go elsewhere and they were sort of taking up his space, whereas Sterling seemed to be the only one that was talking to him and talking him through the game. Um, I did so, notice Sterling talking too much, actually, which uh, is an admirable thing. You know, when um, you're going through a bit of a shit spell yourself, and to be helping. Yeah, else that, that's what I mean, and and it's like that. That sort of I don't mean in terms of leadership value or things like that. I mean that's just basic sort of in-game intelligence. Whereas, like, you'd imagine without even having to speak to players, if Palmer played with. Um, De Bruyne and Gundogan, you know, say five, ten more times, then it'd just be 
natural intuition or whatever. Yeah, more cohesion. They're, 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 yeah, that they're not getting in each other's way. Whereas a lot of the time, he'd be making a smart run and then they'd run into the same and occupy his space. Um, which, uh, you know, maybe it is his... It didn't seem a lot of the time that it was his fault. It seemed more that it was Gundogan or, or, or De Bruyne's fault, sort of. Maybe they were just... Maybe, maybe it was just a case that they didn't have a, enough confidence in him, whereas yeah. Sterling was taking the opposite sort of approach and sort of trying to guide him through the first half. Yeah. Well, you mentioned De Bruyne there, Casey. Chris, I want to I want to touch a little bit on De Bruyne right now because he's he's he feels like he's quite a long way down the road back to full fitness, and yet he's he feels like he's also really struggling for form right now. He was dropped to the bench against Brighton, um, and you know when he's fully fit, that's there's, there's, it's not often that that happens. Um, equally, though, in that game, he came on and, and created a few big chances. And then, you know, Wednesday night happens, and it, it, again, it doesn't really look like it's happening for him. Yeah, it's a weird one with De Bruyne because, to an extent, he looks mentally and physically a little bit fatigued. He has had some pretty bad injuries. Uh, I mean, that horrible, uh, you know, physical assault from Rudiger, and then he's done his ankle ligaments. And it takes a while to get back from that. It's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? Like, because you, you, it's like, well, do you play, in, play him into form, let him play and find his form, or does he need a rest? And, but if you rest him, you can't expect him to come back and be on top form anyway. Yeah. But if you keep playing him, is he just going to get more fatigued? So I suppose that comes down to, you know, managing the, 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 him properly as yeah. a top manager. So he's got to find that balance and use him when he feels it needs to be fleeting and do that. And you just got to, I guess, trust Pep on that. And we'll, we'll see. I don't know exactly. I think a lot of it's in-game management and seeing what he's, what he looks like, what it feels like he's, you know, communicate with him, look, have your own opinion on what he looks like he's doing and make a decision based on all those factors. But yeah, it's hard to sort of say from here exactly yeah, what should be done. Yeah, I think with the rest thing, though, because because obviously he's he's had his whole career blighted by like you know God knows what what actual player he could have been without injuries, um, you know because it's just been peppered throughout his whole career. But generally, he doesn't need that much time to come back to fo- to slot straight back in and be the main man, does he? Well, I was going to say, Casey, that you look at the Brighton game. Like City were City were really, really good in that first half without him, and then they lost control of that game in the second half. He comes off the bench and he gets control of it back. Yeah, but I think that the game was getting a little bit broken up there anyway. Um, you know, I think I think that it is it is a lot easier for a player of his caliber, whether they're in form or out of form, to come on in that situation um, because. The thing is, though, mate, you're you're saying he's been peppered by injuries, and he's always been able to just come back and be on form. Just because it was doesn't mean it. Shall no, it no, be. no, no. That, that no. Before because David asked me, uh, before David asked me the question, there, the point I was going to make was, I, I don't think, I, I, my, my, my concern is, have we seen the best of him? Is that it now? Mm. Like, like, not in terms of him being finished as a player. I mean. Is he past his peak now, and he's still going to be, you know, one of the most exceptional and best players in the league? But is he ever going to reach the heights he has before? Because it is taking him longer this time, and it, and I think it took him longer the last time as well. And I think it's just maybe the it, all of those peppers throughout his career have caught up with him, and I maybe. I, like I'm asking, like you're saying, you don't know. I I don't really know whether that's right or wrong either, and whether yeah, a rest or, or the right thing. It's just yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's hard to say. He'll come back in against Bruges now. He'll have a rest against Palace, come back in against Bruges, score three, and then suddenly be, flat, be hit the ground but running Bruges, again. It just, yeah, like, Bruges, Bruges isn't a test. Bruges, a, a 10% fit Kevin De Bruyne could breeze through Bruges. Do, do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's it's like the, the, the worrying games a year, like, like coming off the bench against Brighton, again, that's not a test for him. It's more, you know, he, he was so poor against Liverpool. And you think, you know, Last last night, you know, it, that that wasn't really him last night either, was it? He didn't do anything particularly bad, but he didn't do anything particularly good. He just didn't look himself. It was a bit laboured, wasn't it? It was like mm. he wasn't gliding about. He was kind of chugging, and you sort of next time he gets the ball, he'll he'll do something. And after like yeah, just, ten times I, I, of that, if he had ten touches, he just doesn't. Them. He just doesn't look as comfortable getting about the pitch as he as much as he used to. And whether that's just him getting back up to full fitness or not, like as I say, and Chris said, I, you know, we, we don't really know. It's up to you know, it's up to them to manage him. But yeah. as I say, my fear, and I hope I'm completely wrong, is that he is now on the decline. 
Yeah, it could be. It could. I mean, he said himself, hasn't he, about the uh, if he'd known what the painkilling injections on his uh, ligament problem would have done, uh, he wouldn't have done it. So it could. It could still be the after effects of all of that, and we could still yeah. be uh, looking at a much better De Bruyne in the second half of the season. Fingers crossed. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk I want to look at Phil Foden as well because uh, he's had he's had quite a week, Chris. Um, he was the headline maker of uh, of the Brighton game, nearly got a hat trick in that one, um, and then misses the penalty in the shootout that that proved vital in uh, against West Ham. And it's uh, it's almost as if you know it, that that's his rite of passage. He's now missed a City penalty. There you go, first team regular bang. <laughs> you one of us now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was uh, there's an argument to say. Why is he taking the first one? But he's probably absolutely no fear wanting to take it. Fair play. I mean, not everybody I mean, he can't score every penalty. He scored one in the Community Shield win over Liverpool um, in that shootout, and it was a like that was what two years, three years ago, and it was a cracking penalty for mm. you know a, a kid at Wembley who would just come on at the end of the game. So he like you say, he's got no fear whatsoever. But he did look a little bit off. You know, when you sort of look at their eyes and they're looking into the crowd who are trying to distract them and you think, are you just going to ignore that and bury this now? And it didn't It didn't really have... A lot of the time you can you get a feeling, don't you, about whether they're going to score or not. Yeah, a lot yeah, but said I thought, about it. Yeah, but I thought the camera angle last night was conducive to just reading into all sorts. It was such a strange decision for that camera angle, wasn't it? You know, as they were walking towards it. It was just like not not nobody looked confident walking toward like going it was straight out of a horror it so, movie. Yeah. It was so weird. So like I I, I was just like because obviously Phil was the first one up. So you just like is because it, it, it cut to him and he'd be like sort of like giving it the proper scally strut on the way down. You think oh right yeah he's really confident here. And half a second later he looked a bit worried and you just like I didn't really know how to read it. But they were all like that and you just think maybe you know let's say the traditional camera angle that you'd see maybe you you know you don't get to read that much into it and you're just sort of guessing i don't know i'm not nervous it's just the angle (laughs) (laughs) there is a difference isn't there when 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 foden's playing well there's a there's a real difference with between city with him and city without him isn't there it provides a bit of urgency a bit of immediacy and like um, impetus he made a difference when he came on last night I thought there's a lot of the players that are I don't know not like not drone like not being negative to that extent but do you know they're just they're happy to be part of the process rather than seize the initiative and um, be the man to actually make something happen I felt um, Palmer was doing that yeah. Quite a lot, to be honest. He was more keen than his um, fellow players last night to want to just shift the ball and shoot. And a lot of them were just like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to keep the ball. Just keep the ball. Keep the ball. Trust the process. We're going to carry on doing this till we're dallying about on the edge of the six-yard box and then we'll just be able to pass it to someone to side foot in. And sometimes you can't just do that all the time. You've got to mix it up a bit. And um, I think, Phil, I think uh, one of the options you put in a, notes about best position whether it would be wide stretching or inside or opening doors is a good phrase that i picked up on there that i think that's what he does well he asks questions doesn't he um he makes his own team change what they were about to do because he's suddenly in a more advanced position than anyone on our team was expecting it's like whoa well yeah throughout that throughout that first half i was thinking it would be nice to see Foden and palmer together up top Mm. I mean, they've obviously played together before, so that yeah, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, um, Casey, I want to ask about Mares as well because we've, I mean, we've talked endlessly on the last few podcasts about uh, Raheem Sterling, his form, and his place in the team. Um, what about Riyad Mares? Because uh, it was a, it was a nice finish to put the icing on the cake against Brighton. Uh, two goals in Bruges the week before that we didn't really mention on last week's show. Um, is he quietly coming back into form? Do you think? 
Yeah, I think he's just settling into the team nicely. And to be honest with you as well, obviously Jesus' form has kept him out of the team, and rightly so. Um, but I think um, when we get towards the business end of the season, and especially in Europe, because Mahrez does save his best performances for Europe, um, you, you know, throughout the run last year, he, he he was our finest player in the quarters, semis, you know, in the lead-up and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see anything particularly, I think, um, he's been eased into the team nicely, considering you know, again this season's a bit different with you know no proper preseason and all that sort of stuff. I'm I'm not even slightly worried about Mara's this year. I am a little bit, in the same way that Sterling can be frustrating. He can sometimes I feel sometimes he's too easily like funneled into like a, a cul-de-sac, um, kind of mixing my metaphors there. But do you know what I mean? Sometimes he just gets into a bit of a rut, and it's like he's going to go down there again. He's going to he's taking on to his left and he's going into a crowd of players again or he's he's gone the wrong way again and it's like I don't know it's like yeah. almost uh, something that once he gets into that rut it's like he's going to do this whole game do you want to drag him off please yeah but three goals in two games before the uh, the, 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 know, the, the match at West Ham so he's doing something right I know but like we were saying before about Bruges and Brighton um, not really representing peak test material I think they could apply that to that as well. Although, yeah, obviously I am being harsh. He's scored three goals in two games, so I think my point still stands. <laughs> um, Bernardo Silva, though, Chris, um, I, I, how we've got like twenty minutes into the show and not really mentioned him after that after that performance at Brighton as well. Um, not happy in Manchester, unfortunately, uh, but you can't tell, can you, on the pitch? Is he definitely still not happy? I don't know. I, well, you see, the story was that Manchester is basically getting him down because it's not the Algarve. And, I mean, I, I kind of have to agree with him. No. <laughs> I agree. No, yeah, it isn't. No, come on, now. Come on. <laughs> but I don't, know, I don't know what his domestic situation was or is, whether that's changed. But a lot of it, I mean, his form wasn't very good, was it? And we've talked about it on this show before, Um probably about a year ago at least, when he wasn't looking anywhere near the player that we'd come to kind of adore for his, you know, endless energy and tenacity and, and you know, skills in tight situations. He just wasn't really firing on all cylinders, but he, now he is. That goes a long way towards um, being happy wherever you are, doesn't it? So hopefully he's uh, turned the corner on the, the happiness and just carries on doing it because he's just amazing, isn't he? I mean... Yeah. Wasn't he jumping into a lake? Well, I was just going to say this, Casey. He saved a dog this week. He saved it. Yeah, like, that's it, it, all. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So you know, so so he's clearly happy. You know, the the water is clearly fine. So I, I don't. I don't <laughs> you know, you, you know, what do people go to the Algarve for? They go for you know, they go for the water. Obviously, he's happy with that. They go for golf courses. There's enough golf courses in Greater Manchester. I'm sure he must be fine. Did, did you Why see the story? Dog swim. I don't know, but it, it, the other thing is... Was, that it, the, was the, it his dog? Yeah, yeah, it's his dog. Oh, top, right. See, I only seen the clip. I just thought it was some random's dog. No, it was his dog. The top of the water was uh, covered in that um, that green algae. sort of algae, yeah. Um, and the dog went, oh, that's grass, and just jumped on it and went straight under it. And so Bernardo was <laughs> like, oh, well, I, I better get the dog out. <laughs> just went straight in. <laughs> it's a bit weird that his dog can't swim. Everything can swim. Like hedgehogs, can, hedgehogs are surprisingly good swimmers. I didn't know that. Know that. I, oh, I, you you learn learn something new every week, don't you? Um, well, well, you you, you, do, you do with uh, old uh, you know Christopher Attenborough here that we've got. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we move on from Bernardo uh, Casey, what's what's his best role in the team? Uh, do you think is it is it simply when he's allowed to just drift across the front? He always he always seems to drift out to one of the flanks and and, and suddenly he's causing all sorts of damage. Uh, to me, it's in the middle, um, like. It's best uh, place to drift out to the flanks from, though, isn't it? There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, no. I mean, like, it, no. But if you're talking about like, because obviously he was excellent on the right wing for you know for a, a season and a half, wasn't he? And he could still easily do that job, no problem. But obviously, we've, we're we're overstacked in that position. Um, but I just think, yeah, sort of like box to box for me. Like, I, I know we don't tend to have box to box anyway because we play with two eights or whatever you call it you know this new terminology or whatever but it's just like I, I just think the fact that when he can just get up and down the pitch because obviously he always covers more ground than everyone else and sort of yeah just getting in and around and be 
just basically be a busy fucker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, it's Halloween this weekend, and here's a trademark Blue Moon podcast tenuous link for you. It's also Crystal Palace at home, and one goal that gave City fans nightmares at the Etihad came back in this fixture in 2018. Sam Roscoe takes us on a trip back to some of the world-class goals that City have had the misfortune of conceding. What's wrong with me? Two minutes after Crystal Palace's equaliser in 2018, the Etihad was left stunned by an effort from Andros Townsend. He has three goals in his career that are just outstanding. That one for Tottenham that he, and one for England that everyone was like, wow. And then, and then that, that was just, I mean, it was phenomenal. It was just, I mean, I, I, it blew me away. That's Palace fan and stand-up comedian Andre Vincent speaking on one of this season's Patreon bonus shows. It's not often the home fans will applaud an away goal, but this was one of those occasions. I don't know how I saw the game. I was doing pantomime. For me to see a Saturday game is, is pretty rare during panto season. And, oh, it was just phenomenal. We lost something like six games in a row. Just to come in and, and do that to you. I mean, A, you know, that we won, and B, that, that goal. It, it just still sends shivers down my spine when I see it. He admits that City had the last laugh that year. Something else, you know, the Man City getting their own back. How it was constantly being said, goal of the season, goal of the season, goal of the season. All the way up to Vincent Company scoring. Was it your last game, your last home game? And then everybody made that the goal of the season. It was like... You see what's happening here? And everybody just telling company to leave it as well, which makes it even worse. <laughs> and you just winged it. That wasn't the first time a title-winning City side had conceded a goal of the season contender either. Let's go back to 2012 and Roberto Mancini's visit to Stoke that year. Oh, God, yeah! I forgot about that. The crouch goal. Fucking hell. David Cowlishaw from the Wizards of Drivel podcast speaking on another of our patron bonus episodes. When asked for his best memories of games between Stoke and City, he managed to forget such a brilliant goal. The best goal I've seen live. And I, I didn't register. It didn't register when I was planning this. Yeah, that's the best goal I've seen live in person. And I, I, I swear to God, lads. I had the best view of that goal anyone has ever had because I was sat in the right spot in that stadium to see it, like from the back of the shot almost into the goal. It was an incredible effort. From Asmir Begovic's long ball forward, Peter Crouch flicked it to Jermaine Pennant, who headed it back to Crouch to volley from 25 yards. The ball didn't touch the floor from the goal kick until it hit the back of Joe Hart's net. And that was about 12 months on from when Manchester United won the derby with a goal of the season contender too. The context of it is, is so important to understanding it in that he was essentially still getting booed for, well, looking like he really wanted to move to City. That's Paul Ansorge from the United Rantcast talking about Wayne Rooney. Brace yourselves, we're looking at that overhead kick in 2011. It has like these aesthetic limitations in that... The ball from Nani takes a massive deflection, so it sort of loops up, but it wasn't done on purpose. And obviously, he catches it with his shin. Now, I have to say, the fact that he kind of catches it with his shin and cushions it with his foot doesn't make it any less technically remarkable. And it is an absolutely beautiful uh, goal to watch over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it was quite something. Hart was left standing by that Rooney effort. He was also the unfortunate keeper beaten by a stunning strike by West Brom's Graham Dorans in 2014 when City won the title under Manuel Pellegrini. That goal is described here by Adrian Goldberg of the Liquidator podcast. Even by the time Dorans received the ball, just inside the right edge of the penalty area, he had a defender standing to the left of him, blocking his way to goal. But there's a flick with his right boot. And then a second flick, and that flick takes it across the body of the City defender. Dorans nips around him, and then with his left foot, finishes off an absolutely cracking shot into the left-hand corner of Joe Hart's goal. It was a superb finish, quite possibly Dorans' best goal for the Albion. Weirdly, those goal of the season contenders against City often seem to come in the club's title-winning years. 
Here's Sam Davis from the Bournemouth podcast, Back at the Net. He's talking about a goal from 2017. As Bournemouth fans, whilst we probably knew the writing was on the wall in that fixture, what we're looking for is one moment that we're always going to remember. And that happened with that Charlie Daniels strike. Bournemouth took the lead with an absolute belter. It was almost on the half volley, so he didn't have to generate that much power. And he hit it with his instep of his left foot right on the sweet spot. And he caught it so well. And I think it travelled at such pace, it happened so quickly, but keeper had no chance. It came off the crossbar and then it went onto the post and then nestled into the back of the net and the decibel level at Dean Court. Wow. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard anything like it. And even the Bournemouth players on the pitch were holding their ha- heads in their hands in bewilderment at what just happened. Let's not pretend that conceding great goals is a new thing for City either. Here's Tom from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Despite it being a fantastic free kick, that's probably not even one of the first things people remember about that game. I'm going to guess from the City side, it likely would have been Stuart Pearce's seemingly baffling decision at the time to give David James a pre-printed outfield shirt and send him up front, which I appreciate very nearly worked. We're going back to the final day of the season in 2005, when City drew one all with Middlesbrough, when David James played outfield, and when Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored a sensational free kick. Leading up to the free kick, I remember, it was that far out, nobody was really expecting a goal. The ideas being floated on the radio were, Jimmy should float it in here and just let someone get their head on it, but he's lining up like he's going to shoot. And I remember me and my dad were a bit tense at the time, but we knew that Jimmy could hit a free kick. When the goal went in, Ali Brownlee went berserk in his commentary and that was immediately followed by me and my dad jumping around the front room in celebration. But we'll give the final word on extraordinary goals that City have conceded to John Macken. Before he joined City in 2002, he scored a ridiculous effort for Preston North End against Kevin Keegan's team. He booted it over Nicky Weaver on the volley from just outside the centre circle. I remember uh, looking at just... A little bit before, thinking, you know, if he bounces, if he comes over, I'm having a shot because he's off his line, and obviously it landed perfectly, and uh, I just, uh, just hit it. Preston won that game 2-1 at Deepdale, and Macken joined City four months later. And that's just a few of the stunning strikes that City have conceded in more recent years. But with a defensive record set by Guardiola's team this term, maybe it's now the case that it should take something special to hit the back of Edison's net. That being said, let's hope that there are no more goals of the season contenders going past him anytime soon. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe looking at some of the best goals that uh, that City have let in. Uh, any spring to mind from you two that uh, that we didn't mention or any that you, that we did mention that you want to kind of ease the pain of? Oh, of the, the, the obvious screamer is, is the Townsend one. Um, but I, I, that, I, it? Yeah, but but I, I am I am glad that the because um, uh, I, I I always think it's a great goal. The uh, you know the the Dobby one. Um, that, that uh, I'm glad that someone mentioned. You know, when you ask for, for great goals that have been scored against us, yeah, uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't know about you two. What do you think? Well, I mean, the Townsend one I applauded because I think that's fair enough. Um, I had a little look at this actually. There was one by Kevin Sheedy in 1990. It might have been early 1991 for Everton. It was pretty amazing, like an overhead kick, like on an angle from about 20 yards out. And um, another one from Thierry Henry at Arsenal against David James in 2004. Bent in the top corner, did he? It, yeah, it seemed to like gather pace and change direction like twice as it's... A wobbler. Yeah, but like as it's wobbling in the air, it's visibly picking up speed. It's like, how is he controlling <laughs> it after he's kicked it? Like, is, is he playing mind ball or what? Like, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, I um, the the one I always think of is uh, that one that right at the end, the John Macken one uh, for Preston, because like uh, there's no re- like he's clearly just having a pop there for no reason, and it's and it's flown in, and there's a foul in the build up, so it shouldn't have stood. <laughs> it wasn't exactly. Uh, <laughs> there's no finesse to that, was it? He just no, thumps just it. It's come down with snow. Yeah, well, well, it's like, it's like 
yeah, well, it's like that. That is an absolute, you know, one where he just thumped it. But but the one where it's like, um, you know, the Hasselbank one that, that uh, that's on there as well. You know, where he's just absolutely pelted it. Like every time I watch. Yeah, every time I watch that one, it just makes me think of you know where Steve Coogan's doing partridges and sports coming. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> like, <laughs> Twat! <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, the, the other one is, is a lot of people were suggesting goals from uh, the eight-one loss at Middlesbrough, and the more I think about it, that that game uh, has a little special a place Russian in my back. heart. Yeah, yeah, because like it was not only was it bit one it's of like the, Sean Connery then. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, Fabio, Mr. Russian back. <laughs> um, but not only is that game like City's worst Premier League defeat and like an, an embarrassing day for the for the team, Middlesbrough are having their own goal of the season competition in that match. It's just ridiculous. It's just it's just banger after banger. So yeah, that's um, I didn't put any of those in though. So uh, you can you can thank me for that later. Yeah, um, I think, uh, but even, but even Alano's goal for us in that game. Yeah, it was, just, it was just a game full of screamers, but. Yeah, the the Russian back one particularly stood out. That was a that was a that was a belter in that game. Yeah. Stuart Downing on the volley for when it drops from uh like it's gone up in the air thirty yards, so it just drops down and he pelts it into the top corner. I can't yeah. Never done that before or since. Um let, right, let's talk Crystal Palace. Um Chris, weirdly, Palace have the fewest defeats outside of the top five in the Premier League so far. Um, but they've only got one win. They've drawn six of the games. So what what do you make of them this season? They they seem kind of in a in a state of a little bit of flux. Well, yeah, they look a lot stronger this season um, under Vieira. It's the the big daddy paddy effect. I like to see like to see him do well. I've been watching him a bit. Um, I watched him against Arsenal. You know where Arsenal nicked it right in the last second. Yeah, uh, and I was genuinely wounded for them because um, they really deserved the win. They looked pretty impressive, to be honest. They, they were knocking the ball about at the back. Like I just, it was really impressive to watch because it was like this is Crystal Palace, and you know you're not used to seeing them play that well. And not they're no mugs like, but they looked um, like he's he's really put a stamp on them. Um, and I really like Conor Gallagher as well. From is he on loan mm. from Chelsea? Yeah, looks yeah. class. And also like Benteke scoring. Like what's going on there? I was yeah. literally messaging someone at the time saying, "Hasn't Benteke like had the yips for about twelve years?" And he literally scored about two seconds later with a really tidy finish. So yeah, well, keep, hopefully well, it's got well, that out well, of his system. I was going to say, well, keep your Benteke opinions to yourself this weekend. Well, uh, well, and, yeah. yeah, well, I think I think he's had to with uh, you know that lad that they signed from Celtic. He came mm. on for his debut and scored two within about three minutes, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that does uh, make you buck up a bit, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the other thing is, Casey, last time you were on the show, um, again, we were doing that thing where we talk about strikers because that's all we seem to talk about with City at the moment. Um, you said you said something that, that, that kind of stuck in my head, that the, the games against Liverpool and Chelsea are not the ones where City miss a striker. It's the games against Southampton. Could Palace be one of those games? Yeah, yeah, they, they could be, um, unfortunately. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more confident against Palace um, because I think uh, sometimes it's just a case of um, because we're coming off that that result midweek. I, don't, I think Pep will just sort of have them drilled into the ground. I think if we'd have sort of won on penalties last night, then I, I'd be more worried. If that makes sense, he looked fuming, didn't he, when he was coming off? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think the, the there has to be a backlash uh, this 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 weekend. Yeah. The other thing is, Chris, City are getting into this sort of two games a week now for months on end territory. Um, we talked earlier in the show about De Bruyne's form. You know, we've talked endlessly about Sterling's form. How well placed do you think the squad is to cope with the with the fixture list that's coming up? Well placed. That's how well placed I think we are. I think we're well placed to cope with it. We can't argue but- that we've not got a squad that is built to, to cope with rotation. There's players that are kind of dipping in form now and again that are being rotated. It's definitely, um, you know, he runs a meritocracy, doesn't he? So my, 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 my big concern, weirdly, would be is, is if Kyle Walker got injured. if Because because he just never seems to get injured and he's always like... And he's cracking he, on a bit. And he, and he, no, but I mean, but yeah, yeah the, there is partly that. But I mean, because he his fitness levels are so up there, he seems to be able to go and go and go and go again. Whereas I think if if Walker's injured for any length of time, 
Cancelo and Zinchenko, like there's no rotation there whatsoever. Yeah, you've picked and, the and, one and, and, sort and, of spot and, there. And I don't think I don't think that they could go two games a week for the rest of the season. Do you know mm. what I mean? If something happened to Walker, that. that would be my big concern. Yeah, I mean the the other the other side of this is you know we talked about some players' form. Casey, how does he balance that in in the coming weeks? Because he's he's obviously you've got to give players the opportunity to get back into form. You can't just leave them out of the team full stop willy nilly, win the game, bring them off the bench sort of thing. It doesn't work like that. But equally, yeah, you can't cause, just. Cause... Because he's lost, he's lost that with the with the Carabao last night. Because, yeah. like for example, Stone, Stones for for me last night, I thought looked 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 good. Um, you know, Aki not so much. Um, I think you know there there is quite a considerable gap between you know the, the top three centre halves, and then when you go back, I thought to Aki it, played well, you know, and he played some yeah. really good balls mm. like from defence in the midfield to attack as well I thought and I, I think he's a perfectly fine player and I wouldn't have any particular worries about him playing in games but I mean when you talk about them three there is a considerable gap then to Aki for me well yeah there probably is based on what we've seen and mm. based on reputation but he's come to a, a club that's a massive step up and not really played many games again we come back to form don't we you can't expect him to just come in and yeah. be as good as the other two or the other three, because I mean, it's is, is it an unfair disadvantage, really? Because <laughs> he isn't as good. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but you know, if he is as good, if he's ever to prove that he is as good, he will need a little bit more of a, a wedge in, in in the team. Yeah. To well, prove the, that. the only midweek games opportunity he's going to have before Christmas now, Casey, is the Champions League. Well, we we start with Bruges then this week. Um, the way the the group's shaping up as well, you know. They're on nine points with two games left uh, if they win against Bruges. It's not necessarily done and dusted at that point, but there is maybe a bit of an opportunity for rotation there. Yeah, there is, but Guardiola doesn't like rotating in the Champions League, does he? Like, he's, he, like uh, maybe this season, obviously, he brought Palmer off the bench, but traditionally, he does go all out, even if the games are dead rubbers, doesn't he, over the past few years? Like, he, he puts very strong teams out. Um, whether that's because you know, obviously, the spectre of the Champions League looms large over him, or what, I don't know. But well, it's I, the number one priority, isn't it? This is where his yeah. least margin for error is, so he kind of feels obligated to. But yeah, I mean, there's been pretty, you know, piss poor weak teams that we've had to play in the past, you know, few years, and he generally doesn't tend to to tinker that much. I don't think. Yeah, the only time I can really think is when it, when Foden. he played Foden at left back. Um, yeah. um, in Donetsk. Ukraine, was it in Donetsk? Mm. Um, and then there was, I mean, even that that year where I think they were already through with him against Atalanta, and he played Edison. He got injured ahead of uh, going to Anfield as well. Um, uh, the other, the other side of this, Chris, I'm, uh, 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 oh god, oh, oh, oh god, Chris my Higginbottom. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I thought it was quite good. I might just direct this next question to KC now, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Chris, in all seriousness, is it as important to win the group as it used to be? Because you look at, at the way the seeding system now works, you're going to get a fairly tricky tie at some point anyway. And even if it's even if it's not the next round, the round after that, it's pretty, it's open season for the for um, the draw anyway. And you look at, at how these groups are shaping up. One of City or PSG is going to finish second in this group, probably. Yeah. And then you know you've got other groups where you've got you know two really tough teams. So there's going to be some tough teams, whatever yeah, wherever you finish. So is it as important to win the group anymore? Probably not. I think it's even it evens out a bit more um, at the moment. And allied to that is the fact that we are probably the best team or there exactly. or thereabouts yeah. there. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if we win the group. As long as we get through, we should be beating who we who we're against because we're we should be winning the competition. Yeah, like just just to echo what Chris like it, it mattered more when we were sort of trying to, you know, on the way up and we weren't as confident and things like that. Um, you know, you want you know, you you I think we got Schalke one time in the round of sixteen. You know, you want those games or your Kievs in the quarterfinals, all that sort of stuff. You want those, but now when we're and obviously you'd still prefer it now, but realistically now we should be looking at beating every single team in that competition. Everyone like, we're going to face is going to be more scared of us. Exactly, yeah. Like spiders in the bath. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, each of us is getting a £10 correct score single on the podcast for each of City's games. It's from William Hill, and the winnings from the charity bet are going to the Manchester City Fans Food Bank Support. They're raising money for the Trussell Trust to help all of Greater Manchester's food banks. So far, we've raised £370, and uh, we've got two more chances this week. Uh, starting off with Palace at home, I've gone for a 2-0 City win. That's 11-2 to and £55 if I'm right. Chris, what are you having? City three, Palace one. That's ten to one and a hundred pounds. Now, last time you were on KC, we talked you out of your traditional six-one bets for Anfield, and you won. So, what are you going to yeah. do? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go back for six-one. Six-one. Thought it's, you might. Uh, obviously, yeah. Well, it's you know, ten-year anniversary of beating them shite. You know, I can't. You know, I can't waver from that now. Well, if it happens, uh, 45 to 1 and £450 you'll add to the pot and it'll by far and away make you the biggest winner of the season. Um, let's go <laughs> so to Bruges. Um, Chris, what are you having for Bruges? Manchester City 3, Bruges 0. Uh, that's 11 to 2 and £55. I've got 4-1. That's 16 to 1 and £160. Uh, KC, I need not ask because I know the answer, but what is it? Yeah, six one again. Yeah, six one forty five to one again. So four hundred and fifty pounds. If if City could if City could just rack up two back to back six one wins this week, we'll stick nine hundred quid in the pot. Courtesy of KC. So oh, uh, stick stick an accumulator on it. It'll make it back. <laughs> oh God, no! I'm not getting into that. Uh, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. Now, last weekend, as KC said, it was the 10th anniversary of City's 6-1 win at Old Trafford. There was a lot of talk about that game being the turning point in the power shift between City and United in Manchester. Is that actually the case, though? Let's ask Howard Hockin. All the ducks are swimming in the water. As you've probably noticed, there's been a great match anniversary in the past week, namely a reminder of how old I am getting when realising that the 6-1 at Old Trafford was a decade ago. Ten whole years ago. It's been quite the ride, hasn't it? Perhaps not for United who marked the anniversary by getting their arses handed to them on a plate again. A fitting tribute, I think we can all agree. Whoever plays them in a decade's time is in for a treat and some top goal difference padding. And much of the discussion around the match was how this match was the turning point in defining the dominant team in Manchester, the day Ferguson was undoubtedly knocked off his perch, and in his lifetime. As a regular football contrarian, I feel the need to doubt whether this was really the case, not that I would ever dismiss the argument entirely. The thing is, United lost to Spurs 1-6 at home last season, it didn't change anything. Can a single match ever do that? It can cause a shift, it may get a manager already in trouble, the sack. But its effects can never be definitive for me, though if City have failed to beat QPR all those years ago, I think the scars could have lasted a very long time indeed, for fans and players. United won 8 out of the following 9 games after the Old Trafford drubbing of 2011, and many will naturally argue they should have won the league too. Don't get me wrong, this game was important, a statement of intent and a match for the ages. It allowed City fans true confidence that they played United as equals, if not superiors now. It's one of the main matches I wasn't at that I really wish I was. The old inferiority complex had gone. But I think this result had an influence on another match that was for me more definitive, but perhaps would not have played out as it did without this Old Trafford game. So what I'm saying, in a way, is that they come as a pair. And that is a 1-0 victory near season end. The company header, you know the script. A nervy 1-0 win can surely not be more definitive than a 6-1 away win, I hear a couple of you cry, maybe. But for me it was, not because of anything City did, but because of what United and more pertinently Alex Ferguson did. Because, have no doubt, Ferguson was truly scared of City that night, and the 6-1 drubbing surely played a part in his thinking. But the way he effectively waved a white flag that night, with a defensive, cautious side that could barely lay a finger on City, made it for me a definitive night, and not just because of the result. United were doing what City used to, go for damage limitation and hope that the occasion may see them beat the odds and succeed. Even when United needed to score late on, they had nothing, as infuriating for Reds as Pellegrini's semi-final second leg approach against Real Madrid was for us Blues, no doubt. But there is another match that may fit the criteria, and you probably have worked out what it is. Many will point to that wonderful FA Cup semi-final victory the season before that helped City secure their first trophy in over a generation. 
a day when City could clearly put out a team that was the equal of United's at least and match them on the pitch. It's a fair argument, but I do not think it in itself changed the balance of power in Manchester. Fact is, there wasn't a clear superiority in those few years. City had caught United up, but I cannot say with confidence that we passed them for good. That is not how it felt at the time. There was momentum though, and thankfully it would continue. But there's a certain need for a narrative though in football, always, on any topic. Everything has to be black or white too. I cannot, would not, with confidence, pinpoint specific moments or matches when the tide turned, when there was a shift in the axis in Manchester. Because the reality is that is not how things work in the real world. Was there really an everything-changed day that saw the dominant team in Manchester change and be definitive? After all, Ferguson would go on to win one more league title after that day versus QPR. He would soon be gone, but so would the manager who in theory changed it all for City. It's easier nowadays to give a definitive answer, of course. Tommy Doherty in the mid-1970s once quipped about Oxo producing a light blue cube, the laughing stock, and City had greater depths to plumb than any they plumbed in the 70s. Now the team in red are the laughing stock as the rest of the world chortles with incredulity at them keeping a manager that would not get a job at Oldham Athletic. But that is now. It took time and a lot of incompetence for United's owners to get where we are right now. And with City no longer the Carabao Kings after a five-year reign, perhaps the tide has turned once more. Anyway, as for 2010 to 12 and beyond, for me it was a creeping process that got us to where we are today. And if forced to give an answer as to when it all changed, I'm afraid my answer is rather unexciting, one you will probably hate. Because I would argue, or at least try to, that Alex Ferguson's retirement was the moment that confirmed the changing of the guard as much as any individual match or league table. I do not put this forward as a definitive argument, as I think that United would have still been on the way to a lesser extent, even with Ferguson in charge, and I think he knew that full well himself and knew it was time to go. Football changes and his time was done. He won't succeed in the modern game, I reckon. By going though, he accelerated the decline and widened the gap between City and United, and eight years later, they still aspired to finish above City in the league, just once, while claiming online that yes, they may have lost 5-0 at home to Liverpool, but at least some of the fans stayed, and they were louder than the away support too. So there. Yes, the day he left, of sorts, the deal was sealed. City were top dogs. It wasn't just Ferguson retiring that settled that deal, but allowing his presence to linger like a post-Holtz fart in a tiny lift. It's their nostalgia trip and their total belief that greatness is their right that sees the tide unlikely to turn again in the near future. How long would they live in the past? Hopefully forever. I look forward to a hologram of Alex Ferguson and the randy 78-year-old Ryan Giggs choosing Kai Rooney as a successor to Nicky Butt. The randomness had no influence in the decision, I should add. I'm just trying to add colour to the situation. So after all that, I come to no real conclusion. Sorry about that. Except to argue that there was no day everything changed, just a gradual process that was a joy to behold, with special days along the way that made that joy even greater. City will continue to beat United, and sometimes United will continue to beat City, annoyingly. Those individual days don't really define what is going on in their rivalry, nor does it tell us if Manchester is blue or red. The war's been won for now, if not all of the battles. Anyway, I hear OXO have released a red OXO cube. It's called Beef. No, hang on, that joke needs a bit more work. Ah, well, you can sort out the punchline yourself. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hocking on the turning point between City and United. Now, we've not done this for a few weeks, but rest assured we do still like your questions, so send them in. You can get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. We might not put many posts up on the Instagram page, but we do still get messages there as well, so just search for Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, this week, we're, we've got one from Jack Burrows. He's emailed in to say, Tickets for Bruges next week are between £22.50 and £35 for me as a season ticket holder. I dropped out of the Cup schemes a few years 
years ago for two reasons. I wasn't always sure I'd be able to get to the games midweek because of work and through having to pay more for my season ticket. It was an expense I decided I could do without when the Champions League games are on a TV channel I get through my broadband subscription. I've bought a ticket for Bruges because I thought it was a very reasonable price and I was looking forward to doing the same for PSG. Why have City put prices up between £55 and £60 for me for this game? Uh, KC, I'm sorry that we always seem to have you on when the ticket price question comes around, but here we are again. Uh, well, the short answer is they're arseholes. Um, like, they, they just, yeah, they don't, they don't they don't give a toss about you. They, they just never seem to, you know, they don't listen. They don't care. I've been over this a million times. They don't, I, at this point, I'm beginning to think that they don't even want us at matches the way that they behave. Um, I, I won't be going. Uh, as I say, I've, you know, I made the decision. If you, I used to go to every single home game, you know, in, in all of the cups, sat them off a few years ago. I just go to the league games now just because I'm fed up with them. Um, I don't really know what more I can add. Like you say, David, I've been, you know, I've been on record so many times about it. I've probably articulated it a lot more eloquently in the past, but yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just sort of at the end of my tether with daft stuff like that now. Chris, are you in? Um, are, are you planning to go to any of these two games? Might go to the Bruges one. Um, I can't justify 55, 60 quid for PSG. Um, you know, um, even if I wasn't. Unlike shared parental leave, looking after my little boy, shout to Joseph. He won't understand. <laughs> Swifty. Um, I, even if that wasn't the case, I don't think I. It's just, it's just, it's too much money. Hello, city. It's too much. Too much money, lads. Well, what just I mean, like, what what do you say to the people? There'll be people listening to this that say, "Well, you you're getting to see Messi, you're getting to see Neymar, and they're playing against City." Well, like it, it's it's it, it's a premium game. It's not a cinema ticket. Like you know, it it, it it just doesn't make any that 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 argument. Cinema's too that. much as well. Yeah, the cinema is too much. But I mean, I, I don't go to the game to watch the opposition. I go to the game to watch City. Yeah, I go to the game to watch City and chat to my mates. I, I know it does. I know it does matter more when you know when you're playing big teams and things like that. But like, I think I'm sure other people on the podcast have said, you know, the Champions League group stage doesn't really hold that much jeopardy anymore, and that and. And regardless of whether you're playing PSG or not, if the game doesn't have jeopardy, it, you know, it, you may as well be paying to go and watch the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, it doesn't really... Jeopardy is what creates big games. It's like what everyone draws on the fact that Hamburg, you know, not just because it was cheap tickets, but like that's one of the best atmospheres ever. Mm. That is partly because it was cheap tickets and everyone was there. Are Hamburg one of the biggest teams? No, they're not. The reason why that was such a big game is because there was massive jeopardy on the line and everyone wanted to win. It's jeopardy that creates football matches, not bloody names in lights and superstar players. The only people that tend to give a toss about that are people that are not even like not that they don't care about football, but most people only care about superstar names and players when they're picking the teams on Football Manager or FIFA or whatever, because that's where it matters. It doesn't matter in real life. So we put this question to City as well, and uh, their position is basically that it's a Category A Champions League fixture. It means it's one of the premium fixtures, and they've priced similar games like in in the same sort of way in the past. Um, they also pointed out that uh, tickets are still priced cheaper for Category A Premier League matches as well. The different the difference with that though is that season ticket holders don't pay those prices for category A Premier League matches. They pay their season ticket price. So if that line of thinking was correct, why not charge the season ticket holders the equivalent of their season ticket price for those games? If if that's if that's their argument. And also saying it's a bit less for the Premier League, it's still too expensive for the Prem. It's like yeah, was it like thirty odd, thirty seven quid, forty quid for Burnley? One of my mates was um, trying to sell his ticket. Um, he couldn't get rid of it in the end, and I took it off him because I've deferred my um, season ticket this this year. Um, and it's, is that still too much? So just by saying, "Oh well, you know," when we charge too much for the prem, it's less than the ridiculous amount we're charging now. To justify charging, you know, exorbitantly extortionate prices for one game by saying, "Oh well." The prices we charge for some other games are only, you know, a couple of notches down um, ridiculous. It's like, well, again, they're all still ridiculous. Again, though, I guess City would look at, at other teams around and say, well, it's it's priced, it's priced better than, than, a, than a lot of other clubs. Who cares? You aim to be better. You don't, you don't, yeah, it's this constant comparison with other teams that City are trying to do. It does me head in. Yeah. 
Right. Well, uh, I'm sure this debate is not going to go away, and uh, I'm sure we'll have it next time you're on the podcast, Casey. So uh, look forward to that one. Um, but that's it for this week's Blue Moon yeah, podcast. Yeah, maybe maybe I should just stay off the podcast. If I stay, <laughs> no. off, if, if, if I stay off the podcast, maybe they'll start charging reasonably. They just I, need to line me up. No, all that all that'll happen is we'll just talk, we'll just stop talking about ticket prices. That's all that happens. Um, thank you very much to everyone who's listened. Don't forget, you can also get extra shows on our Patreon page. We've heard some clips from the upcoming shows earlier on uh, in the feature with Sam. They're all from episodes called City Heaven, City Hell. That's where me, a City fan and an opposition guest, chat through four games between City and that opponent. Two good and two not so good. And we have a good laugh about it all as well. Uh, The bonus shows are out every Monday and the most recent was a Heaven and Hell with Dan Burke, who was looking at games between City and Norwich. They're available for just £2 per month, along with all of our other bonus show formats this year and our ad-free versions of the Friday podcast as well. Just go and look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. If you've enjoyed this week's show, please go and give it a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts and wherever else you can. Special thanks to my guests, Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much. And Casey. Thank you very much. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.